Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's host is Rena Martin. She was a Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney for 14 years, where she specialized in sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases. Today, she continues to serve women as an intimacy coach, educator, TEDx speaker, and author with a mission and a fire in her belly to help women love their bodies, experience deep intimacy, and of course have great sex, all shame-free. Enjoy, Rena Martin. Hello, I am women's intimacy coach, Rena Martin, and today I'm joined by Dr. Julie Shaw. Dr. Julie Shaw is an educator, grief wellness expert, and experienced griever committed to building an inclusive community of grievers who are curious, ready to explore and moved to find ways they can integrate grief into their lives and continue to thrive. She's the founder of Hello, I'm Grieving, a community where grievers can find support and support one another. Her work motivates grievers to say hello to grief, inviting them to acknowledge their own grief while being an active participant in the grieving process. After the loss of her sister and journey of infertility, Dr. Shaw became inspired to change the perceptions of grief as sorrow, sorrowful, isolated, and constant heartache to one where grievers and others can see this as a human experience, where there can be passion, enlightenment, growth, and even a vibrant life after loss. Dr. Shaw has her doctorate in leadership and is the co-founder of Lead Different Consulting, where she works with global leaders in diverse industries and facilitates sessions on leadership development, DEI and grief education. As a grief expert, Dr. Shaw has spoken on panels alongside David Kessler, and her story will be featured in the upcoming grief documentary, Meet Me Where I Am. Dr. Julie Shaw, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm so excited for this one. Um, I I am too, you know, and and just by way of background on on both of us. We met recently um, as we were both facilitators at an event for for leadership executives, and we got into a conversation about grief. And obviously, I come at things from an intimacy, sex, and relationship perspective, but I think there are so many parallels when it comes to, to grief, when it comes to loss and sex, 
The first being that sex and grief are these two things that as humans, we're all going to experience at some point. And yet we have a hard time talking about them. Um, and so I can, of course, talk about all the reasons why we, <laughs> why we struggle to talk about sex, but let me turn it to you. Why do you think it's hard for us to talk about grief? Well, I mean, you're, you're the sex expert and it'll yeah. be fun for us to find all of these similarities and, and parallels. But I like the, the first thing that comes to mind is just how taboo both of these topics are like yeah. in our society, if, if we're talking about sex and, and, and also death. Right. And I know we'll get into it that, you know, grief is more than just the loss of a human life that, that these two things incorporate and, and bring up, um, ideas of shame or guilt or to be quiet and hush or, or to be done behind closed doors to, um, not be anything that's talked about publicly. And, and within both of them, they're both very, very human experiences and they both bring with them a flood of emotions, so many different feelings and yet we want to hide both of them. And we, 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 and they're also very mysterious, right? I do think since we don't talk about it, there is some mystery behind it that, you know, what, what is grief and, and what, you know, does sex bring with it? What, what does pleasure bring um, to the table? But it, it really is so interesting how these two things that you wouldn't think would have um, commonalities just how many they do. So I'm even interested in, in hearing maybe even some of the, the parallels with it, because I think even with all the ups and downs of sex and relationships that people experience, uh, the way that I see it and how I do say, say hello to grief is I also think you're in a relationship with your grief as mm. well. And you know, how do you have that relationship with your grief to make it a good one? And a yeah. lot of people don't think it can be a good relationship with grief, um, but it can. It, it absolutely can. It, it does take work, just like I'm pretty sure it takes work to have great sex. <laughs> but it, it certainly, it certainly does. And and you know, I talk a lot about making making friends with your sexual fantasies, for example, mm. because those are things that that we want to hide away, and and they're not going anywhere. So if we if we suppress those, then they become psychological preoccupations, which is not good and not healthy. And so making friends with, with the perhaps darker, and I'm going to put that in quotes, darker parts and sides of you. But what's, what's interesting is that, uh, sex is the thing that we all want, but we don't talk about. And grief is the thing, you know, death is the thing we don't want. Mm -hmm. And we we're not talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I am shocked at how few um, grief professionals there are out there, considering mm -hmm. that this is a universal experience that that we're going through. Um, so what what brought you into it? I'd love to hear more about your journey um, mm -hmm. of loss and infertility. So so to the extent that that you're open to share, please tell us a bit totally. more. Well, I do think there it's a it's a part of processing it all right and just like sex just like grief the more we talk about it the easier it gets 
And so for me, that's been my process. It's about how I've been communicating to others, how I'm grieving, how I'm sharing my story so other people can learn from it. And, you know, my story really, I'm new to this and that I've experienced loss and death in my life, but I think it's not until you have that really big, impactful loss or death that it really hits home. And for me, it was in February, 2020 when my sister died and she died from lupus, which ultimately was um, massive organ failure. And so it was a long process. And even for caregivers out there, when um, like there's the, the movie from scratch that just came out and I, I hands down, if you have the opportunity to watch that um, again, be in a good place to watch it but it's a really great love story, but also one of love and grief. And it often is said that grief is love and um, being able to express that um, because grief is the reminder of all the love that we have, right? It's, it's that mm-hmm. outward expression of it. And so my sister is, and I say is and was my person. Uh, she was the glue for everyone in our family. And she was, she was, she was just my person. And, and I think when you have such a strong bond with, with someone, when they are gone from this earth, that, uh, it changes you. It absolutely changes you. And I think that's where grief can change you, um, in amazing ways. If you let it, if you let it, and if you work with it, and that's what I've been committed to. And, And then also then the journey kind of the grief became compounded. And and oftentimes when we grieve, it's not just one loss. There can be other things that then happen that then compound it. And mine happened to be my uh, fertility journey. And so that's also something that I realized a lot of people aren't talking about. And, And that was not only compounded with the loss of my sister, who is someone who I would want for support here and for someone that I would want to tell everything about and go to comfort for. But I think that also um, impacted even the relationship with my wife, who is now caring and we are happily expecting here in the next week. Um, so so that's been a big... Which, friend- congrats. I mean, we're, we're down to the wire here, Julie. So thank you for squeezing yeah. in time before the yes. baby comes out. <laughs> yes, but I do think these conversations are important because, you know, um, there's a lot of grief in the infertility journey. And it's one that a lot of partners and people and people that are trying to carry and and create a family that it is very, very hard and difficult. And again, I think just as we're talking about sex, as we're talking about grief, it's that, it's that need to talk about. I think it's the importance to talk about it because in, in a lot of these is what could happen is people then think they're alone in Mm. in their feeling and they think they're alone in their thoughts. And, and that makes their journey that much more difficult with it. Um, and, and that's still something that these things I will deal with for the rest of my life. And that's something that I've owned right? That's something that I've definitely owned. And and I understand the impact that it's had on my life. However, it goes back to, I believe I have a choice in how it will impact my life. 
And, and so when you say talk about it, and I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of, of, of talk about it because as Brene Brown says that the only way to relieve shame is to talk about it mm-hmm. and because shame lives in, in the shadows. And so when, when it comes to grief and you say, talk about it, what does that look like? Like describe that to somebody. So say someone's listening and they're grieving right now, who do they talk to about it? How do they talk about it? Um, what do they do? Yeah. I love that question. And one is we're all going to find our own way to do that. Mine was through social media. I know I started my page without telling anybody and it actually became my own personal journal and it was my outlet. And then I think that that's how the community started to grow. Uh, and then I also think it's, it's subtle things, you know, where, where you are able to shoot a text message to someone and just tell them like, I'm, I'm having a bad grief day that those are, those are words that I would use. Like, I'm just having a really bad grief day today. Um, especially if you are in a relationship, being able to be that much more open with your partner to be able to tell them how you were saying earlier, even the dark moments, the dark things that you're thinking about, uh, to be able to express that I'm a, I'm an absolute champion of, of mental health. So it's, for me, I knew immediately when my sister died that I needed to find a therapist. I absolutely yeah. knew that hands down because I said, I will not let myself go into the depths of this. And so I, I, I reached out to a therapist and then I also tried group therapy. And for me, it is this community, this community of grievers that has had the biggest impact because for you to be able to talk with some, with other people in a group that without you having to explain yourself, they already know what you mean. It's, it's one of the best resources. It's one of the best processing um, tools that you can use. And that's where I saw my biggest growth was in community with other people um, that understood in some way, shape or form what I was going through. And, and I found a specific niche group. So mine was a group of people who had lost their sibling within the past year. So all of us were in that same acute grief and then growing with each other over the course of about nine months. We met like every other week. Um, and finding and searching spaces that I, I say like your vibe attracts your tribe. So it's kind of like, if you've got these griefy vibes, like find your other grief people, because I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes your partner isn't it. Sometimes yeah. your sometimes your friends aren't it. Sometimes your family, even though your family lost that, that same person, everybody is going to grieve differently. And so they're going, and I think where a lot of breakdowns in relationships happen, whether it's family, friends, it, it lies in that judgment of how each other is grieving. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily like you, it's, it's people judge your grief and, um, and your process. 
and that's where um, you can see those those dynamics break down. But but it, it really is about finding the people that you can talk to, and we're out there. Like we we are out there, and even if it's if it's I need to find people of color that are grieving, right? I need to find people who identify as LGBTQ plus and they're grieving, right? You can find these different niche groups, and when you choose to to open up and as i say say hello to your grief and acknowledge it and welcome it in and build that relationship with it it's 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 just so much it it's so so much better at, at least that's what it's been in my experience yeah and find your people is what i'm hearing mm-hmm. you say mm-hmm. and and acknowledge that the people who are again air quotes supposed to be there for you whether that's yeah. you know your best friend or your partner if you have one or or your family that they don't feel bad or disappointed if they're not the right people to support yeah. you in this journey because um I'll just say for myself um I can have a hard time finding the right words to say um, when when I have uh, a friend or a loved one who is, has experienced some sort of loss in a profound way, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure I'm not the only one who 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 finds it difficult to find the words. What do you suggest to people? Um, how do we show up as as good friends, as good partners in uh, amongst grief? How how do we show up best? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a question I get, I get often and there is no, I'm going to tell you these, these four words, like these are going to be the things that you're going to say. I think it's, even if you have to do it clumsily, even if you, you know, are scared, you're going to say the wrong thing. I'm, I'm always like, say something because Mm -hmm. if you are genuine if you really do want to support them, sometimes it's your pure honesty. Exactly what you just said right now. Yeah. You can say that to someone. You can say, yes, I'm, I'm scared of saying the wrong thing. And I just want to be here to support you. Like yeah. that, that can be enough. Another thing that I always like to suggest to people. Um, and when I talk about acute grief, this is when it like say the loss just happened and, um, and they are still in, whether that's that initial shock or that initial processing, whatever, like it's just in that fresh stage of grief, um, that grievers often don't know what they want. They, they don't know, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's happening. Um, your brain is literally trying to rewire itself. And to make sense of the world, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Your brain is literally trying to rewire itself. And imagine if you say, for example, with my sister is, um, I've lived my whole life with her. So my brain only knows like her, like being here and knows her being at her home or knows her calling me or me being able to call her. Now, when that's taken away from us and that's where you then see people saying, oh, I was, I felt like I was just going to go call them. I felt like I Mm. I, I just wanted to pick up the phone or that they were going to call me 
um, you know, or when you walk into their home, you know, that I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the universe and spiritual world. So it's like, yes, you can feel their presence, but also that expectation of your brain to see them when you walk in that door, um, your brain has to rewire that. And if you've lived your whole life, your brain has been programming. And for me, it's been 42 years. So my brain has been programmed for 42 years. It's going to take a while for my brain to reprogram in another direction. And so it's like, we won't. So in all that happening and all that confusion is as somebody who wants to support a griever, it's being very um, clear about what you can do for them. So it's even saying, I will come over to your house today and I will bring you this food or I will pick you up today and I will take you to your appointment. Like, because at that time, we just don't know what, what we need. I always share the story of my best friend and was like, okay, um, she worked for like this food company. So she's like, I'll, I'll order you some food and I'll have it shipped to your house. She's like, what do you want? And in that moment, all I could say is popcorn. That's, that's all I was like, why, why did I say that? That I like, just send me boxes of popcorn. And, and so there, there's a lot going on. So even if you can be very um, concise about what you will be able to do for them, that's very helpful. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, just go over and sit with them and, you know, don't try to sugarcoat things and just say, you know what, this sucks. This is awful. And yeah and be able to, to say those things. It's, it's not about, it's not about always trying to make someone feel better. It's about just letting them hurt. And, and that's okay. You know, my favorite question that I use just anytime I see somebody having a bad day, someone I care about or, or going through grief or going through anything hard, is how can I best support you? And, and I've been so awestruck by the responses I get. Um, sometimes it's like, I, I just need a hug right now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is like, I need a grilled cheese sandwich, right? <laughs> I, and, and so honoring that because I, I don't want to, uh, overstep my bounds. I have a friend who mm-hmm. is actually grieving right now, the loss of, of a pet who was her companion mm-hmm. um, for a very long time. And so I kind of threw out some options. I was like, look, I know some people want to be alone during this process and some people don't. If you are looking for a distraction, whether that's someone to go on a walk with, someone to share a glass of wine or coffee or a meal, I am here for you. Let me know how I can best support you. And okay you know, giving some options there and, but acknowledging, like, don't feel obligated to, to choose off this menu or even (laughs) take support from me. Yeah. Um, But, but how can I best support you is a question I talk a a lot about on my social media too, because it's, it's, it's a good catch all for a lot of things. Um, and, and so I do want to touch on infertility because I work with a lot of women who, who are on their fertility journey and have perhaps reached the end of that in a way, um, that, that is heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and devastating for them. And what, what would you say to women who are in that position as someone who's been there herself, Julie, um, 
how, what's the best way to grieve that? Grieve the, the fact that you may not be a, a mother in the way that you thought you were going to be. Yeah, that's, thank you for that. And I do think that this message is, is very important and I'm glad you are having those conversations. You know, I, I will say, honestly, I'm, I'm still really trying to figure that, that out. You know, it's, it is a tremendous loss again, especially if you've been one that, um, like for my example is this is something that I've always wanted. It's, it's something that I've always wanted probably even before I thought I would get married. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you know, I probably won't get married, but somehow I'll have a kid, you know? And, and I think for me, it was also understanding that it, it was a, it's a life experience that I really wanted. I wanted to experience that as a part of, of my life and being here on this, on this earth. And, you know, grief is essentially a loss that you did not want. And it's, I didn't want this. And there's also, this is just a really great question because I'm in the midst of it, right? I'm I'm in the midst of this. And some of the things that I'm learning in how I've dealt with it is it does go back to owning the pain. And sometimes I think we want to push the pain away so much. And for us to truly grieve and and heal in any way possible. And healing doesn't mean that all that pain goes away, right? Like I think healing is also just being comfortable with with all that you've been given in your life and the pain that, that you have and the challenges that you have. Um, and knowing that that's a part of you and it makes you who you are. But actually last night, um, when I was thinking about pain is that this pain grabs your attention. Like I'm a former professional athlete as well. And so I have this athlete mindset and just understanding like, like pain will, like if somebody pinches you, you are drawn to that spot. Right. And, and a lot of the times is. And, and I came up with this acronym of pain as pointing awareness inward now, right? Mm. Like that, that's been my acronym for pain that the pain that you go through with infertility is how can you be aware of what's happening internally in, in that moment so that you can process it so that you can understand it so that you can ask for the help that you need so that you can communicate that that to others. And my fertility journey has made me and my grief has made me such a better communicator of my emotions and also being very unapologetic about my emotions because I've, I've been very like the other day I was crying with my wife. Right. And, um, and I, I felt really proud like I was crying and sure there was sadness there, but I was really proud that I was able to express the pain and, and just be like, I'm comfortable with this pain and, and to be comfortable with it. And that, that takes a lot of work. Um, 
and I probably went on a, on a rant right now, but, but it, it takes a lot of work. And I think on your infertility journey is, and, and somebody gave me this advice of, of like all the plans that you have is you kind of have to throw that out the window and, and, and I've also become accustomed to being open to that a family is going to be whatever we create it. Right. Mm -hmm. There's also been, there's also been a, a book that also has helped me. It's called the five attachments to where when we feel so attached to an idea and when we feel so attached to a feeling, any, anything in an extreme of attachment can hurt us. And so I've had to explore like, what is my attachment to birthing a child? What is my attachment to having that child be my biological child? You know, what is my attachment to, um, you know, just being pregnant? And I've also have had to explore where does my ego play into this? You know, that I, that is it my ego feeding this attachment? So I don't know if that answered the question, but it's just so many thoughts that every single infertility journey is going to be so extremely different. We cannot compare ours to another. So I think that's why when I talk about, you know, pointing that awareness inwardly now for that pain is explore your pain, sit with your pain, love your pain and like grow from it. Yeah. Right, and, and, and see, and I love what you're saying about what it is specifically that, that you are grieving because mm -hmm. it could be, I'm grieving the fact that I never get to experience carrying a child. Yeah. Okay. So what's that about? Yeah. Where, where mm -hmm. does the story, where does the narrative come from? Mm -hmm. And what is that narrative about what it means to be a woman? Yeah. If you can't physically their children, mm -hmm. right? And, and getting curious about what some of those stories are underneath to see if, if we can give those a name, it can take some, I would think some of that pain away and, and giving yourself permission to fall out of love with what you thought you wanted is a big theme of mine. And I, I think in, in, when it comes to fertility, I don't think that people are going to fall out of love with what they thought they wanted, no. but, but using that as a way to explore other things, because I, I've seen that with folks who have been on a fertility journey that hasn't ended in um, conception, that once they have mourned that, it creates this sort of catalyst or pivot in their relationship where they say, mm -hmm. okay, now we can actually start having sex just for fun. Yeah. We, let's create a new relationship with sex because understandably for a long time, mm -hmm. sex becomes this thing that's, that's a source of grief, right? Mm -hmm. We're doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. That, and this yeah. isn't happening. If we're talking about heterosexual couples, mm -hmm. like why isn't this working? Um, oh, yeah. Right. Really? And, and, and so sex, sex and grief, uh, sex becomes something that is painful and dangerous in a way. Your brain begins to equate it with Absolutely. loss Absolutely. and heartache. And, and so saying, okay, how do we form a new relationship 
with with sex again that that equates that makes it fun that makes it intimate Mm -hmm. but also how do we redefine what family means to us yeah right can i go back even um you're making me think about our whole process right yeah and so and tying it back into that sex part it 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 becomes um and you know sex and the intimacy and you know, whether it's that love and, and how you're expressing your love with your partner um, or even the fun that you're trying to have with your partner, you know, those kind of go out the window dur- mm. during mm-hmm. <laughs> during the fertility journey, right? Because I know even, um, you know, it's going to be, again, different for everyone. There's heterosexual sex. Um, and like from, from, from my wife and I um, going into the process, it does help, right? They say it helps. Like if you have sex before insemination and, and all that, like it, it can help, um, have, have the sperm go. And so we actually did some, some at home, um, IUIs, right. Um, mm. we, had, we had, um, live sperm. And so we would try to be intimate with, with each, with each other. And the first time I was like, okay, yes, we're going to set the mood and everything's going to be great. And and we're going to get pregnant on the first try. We're going to be one of those stories. Um, But then after, you know, three, four, five, six, you know, however many of those times that we tried, it's like, then the sex just became, you know, okay, let's, let's get it done. Let's, let's do this. And it does. It, it it messes with you to where you're like, where is that intimacy now? And is, is this going to work? And then you start going down that spiral of, is it you? Is it me? You know, what, what yeah. is what's happening there? And, and I'm sure that happens just in general sexual relationships, right? Like, why isn't this working? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and of course, um, I see this often in the context of couples where one partner is initiating and the other one is frequently turning that person down. So, um, and bear with me for a second, because I promise there is a parallel here, but, um, (laughs) but, but, um, so the, the research tells us that when there is a pattern of, you trying to romance your partner and putting in a lot of effort and then that partner shoots you down that over time you're going to put in way less effort to romance because the stakes um or you know based on past experience the chances of it happening are low and so you have less incentive to expend the energy to romance and set the mood and all, all the things right and so yes. i would imagine that that's kind of what we what what you're what you're describing that happened in in your own relationship, mm-hmm. which is okay. Um, we did the thing. We we set the mood. Mm-hmm. We we did all of this right, and we didn't get the response that yeah. we were looking for. So I guess it doesn't freaking matter whether I set the mood <laughs> or not, because I'm yeah. still not getting what I want. Yeah. 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 And so and I want to, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. No, you go for it. No, no, no. I, I was going to pivot us into something else, but if you, if you've got more to say on this topic, let's stick here. No, I mean, I mean, it, it is, I think even just like then the grief of it all, then it becomes, you know, where does the intimacy go after that? And because one, you have one partner who's grieving, not to say that the other one isn't, 
but it's then, then it becomes, you know, gosh, like how can I, it goes back to your question, right? How can I support this person? And then if you don't know how to support that person, then you too are just kind of orbiting each other and, and not, not coming together in other intimate ways. Mm. And so grief can absolutely have an impact on your relationship in, in numerous ways. Um, and, and even absolutely in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. And, and so let's talk about how grief impacts relationships and, and sexuality. If we're not talking about the grief that accompanies fertility. So sure, say yeah. we're talking about, um, the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. And what have you seen? What, what does the research tell us about how that impacts people's desire for sexual connection, how that impacts their desire for physical touch, for emotional intimacy? Yeah, how does that work? I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a natural thing, again, for one, since we don't talk about grief, people don't know how to address it when they're in it and experiencing it. So oftentimes you'll see that person try to do that by themselves. And when they try to do that by themselves, then that a byproduct of that is pushing other people away. Mm. Even if it is this great partner um, that they will push them away. And then I also think that there's going to be things that activate their grief and um, can, this is where, I also want to make it clear that the five stages of grief are not an actual model that you will go through. Yes, you can cycle through those different feelings, but it was originally meant to describe the five stages of death um, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, but people have applied it to grief. Um, so there, there, yes, there might be anger. There might be anger that comes out. So then we lash out at our partners. And I absolutely did that. I still do at times. And And I think when you can recognize that that is your grief, one thing that I would practice with my partner is I would apologize and I'd be like, I'm sorry, that that's my grief coming out Mm -hmm. now and being able, being able to um, express that. I would also like to add, there is another side of this that could happen is um, the coping mechanisms is how this might actually affect a relationship is sometimes coping mechanisms might actually uh, be displayed as having more sex, Mm -hmm. right? Is that that might actually be something that comes up because people might need that closeness. They might need that affection. They might need some type of outlet. Um, This can also happen in relationships, whether you're single, whether in a relationship, that people might actually seek out other people to go have sex with, right? Um, so, so whether it's, um, and I don't want to say any type of, um, it, it, again, I think it goes back to the coping mechanisms like mine, mine was food. I did not expect food to be mine, but I leaned heavily into food. Food was what brought me that pleasure. What made me feel happy what also connected me, I felt like connected me back to my sister. Um, and so that can also happen with sex that can, yeah. where, where people seek out other people and whether it's multiple partners or whether um, it's somebody outside of their relationship uh, or whether it is their partner that, that they could look to, to that as, as coping. Because again, 
It's going to bring those, that serotonin. It's going to bring, you know, the feel good feelings. Yeah. The feel good feelings. And, and so it can go either way. And I think a lot of us naturally tend to think, okay, if, if, if I'm grieving, I'm going to be sad. I don't want to talk to anybody. I might even go into depressive states. Um, but I also want people to know that there is also this other side. So if you do see people um, behaving in ways or doing different things that they didn't normally do before this loss, that that could be their grief coming out. You know, Esther Perel, she, she talks, um, she has a great book called the state of affairs and it's about infidelity, you know, why people cheat, how you can repair. And, um, as you were talking, it reminded me of, of something she discussed in the book, which is that sometimes when we experience grief, a major loss in our lives, mm-hmm. that that in and of itself causes us to reexamine how we are living our lives, right? Um, it, you lose a parent, for example. It's a reminder that life is short. We only get to do this once mm-hmm. and and can cause this reckoning where you look around and you say, do I still want to be in this relationship? And people will start cheating. Yes. Um, and so you'll hear stories of, yes, my partner's dad died and then she went out and had an affair. What the mm-hmm. fuck? Kind of yeah. thing, right? <laughs> exactly that. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it makes sense because for, for a lot of people, it's death is a reminder of our own mortality. Yeah. And, and kind of, you know, the pandemic did this for me, certainly that the, the pandemic happening was what caused me to take a real hard, long look at my life and say, is this the life I want to be living? And, and led to my career change from, from being a district attorney to what I do now. Um, but, but having that huge shift and awakening, mm-hmm. um, whether that comes from when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease the death of someone you know, or just a large scale, we are grieving the world we thought we knew, um, that that can cause us to make some huge life changes. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a great connection right there, right? Is we, we see these different responses happen in different ways. And these are different ways that people are trying to, again, process it. However, I just really recommend, and and it goes back to that that awareness. How can you be aware of your grief? I just posted something the other day because I was talking about uh, how people might 
manage their grief versus processing their grief. And Mm. like managing to me is like, you know, you're grieving and you just say, I'm fine. I have this under control. I can put my grief aside. It's almost like compartmentalizing, right? Um, And I, I feel like I have a hold on it. But processing is really being an active participant, really having that relationship with your grief, trying new experiences that are moving you towards uh, having that, that, that relationship with grief, right? That helping you understand it, educating yourself. That's why I became a grief educator is because that was another way that I could understand and I could process it to make grief not seem like this big, scary thing or this thing that would hold me down. And the more that I learned about it and the more that I talked about it, um, it, that's what helped me process it to where I go, okay, it's, it's not this, this thing that's going to, to tear me down. It's not this thing that's going to burden me in all my future relationships. Um, and that's also a reason why I wanted to process it versus just manage it because manage it. I feel like if you just manage it, then that means you just put it aside and you might not think about it. You're just like, okay, I got this grief thing that that's when those big waves of grief hit you and they, they come out of, they come out of nowhere. And then that can be a continuous cycle. Um, I'll recommend a, a really good, I've, I've been listening to, I just started listening to it last night, Anderson Cooper's, um, podcast, and he was talking to Stephen Colbert and Stephen Colbert has a really great story as well. But uh, Stephen Colbert said something that I was like, yes, it's like that. A lot of people think grief is like this cave that like you're in and it becomes dark and that's where you live now. Um, mm-hmm. But instead, instead of looking at it as a tunnel that like, yes, you've entered this new space, there's going to be those dark moments, but there is that there is that light there. That then, then also on that other, to add to that, then on that other side, you know, again, I'm this believer of what is your choice? What do you want to do that you can have that, that control over it to where, how do you want your grief to grow you and what to do as you walk through that tunnel, all the things that you're going to learn that you're going to, to, to own and, and face those fears. Right. And again, the only way to like, get through your grief as people want to do, like, I want to get through this is to go through it. Yes. So it's like, you have to go through that grief and face it head on. And then when you're on that other side of the tunnel, you are a different person. You are absolutely, whether it's the loss of a job, whether it is the loss of a pet, whether it's the loss of a relationship, whether it's the loss of someone you love, like a life, um, you will forever be changed and it will have an impact on you. So what do you then do with that now? And, and what do you want to have happen? And, and how can you find the different things? I've tried so many different experiences that I never thought I would try in my life. And that has made my life even more beautiful. And it makes me even more excited about, about life um, because I have learned that lesson. And in the spirit of you know Thanksgiving coming up is I know early on in my grief group, I brought up like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to be grateful for my grief. Yeah. And it's not to say that I'm grateful for any of the losses that I've had. And of course I would love to have my sister back. Of course I would love to be carrying a child, but I am absolutely grateful for all that I have learned and how I have grown from this and 
it's led me to a path that I never thought that I would be on. And, and, and I'm, I'm again, great, grateful for that. And sometimes it's hard for people to hear that. Um, but I want people to hear that. Yes. I mean, I, I think gratitude is such a, a huge component of my life mm-hmm. and this idea of looking at the world, anything that, that happens to you as how is this for me? Mm-hmm. Right. How can I, I like to say, take something ugly and make it beautiful how can I alchemize the pain? Yeah. And, and it sounds like you've done a beautiful job with that, but I understand that some people might say, oh my God, how can you be grateful for this thing that happened to you? And it's like, no, I'm not grateful that the thing happened. I am grateful that I have been able to alchemize it and find beauty, find gold on the other end. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's touch briefly, um, on, on other forms of grief, on, on relationships and the ending of relationships. And how do you know that you're, (laughs) what's that? Yeah. I was like, been there. (laughs) Right. Because it's, it's, it's grieving a life that you thought could have been. Um, how can you tell if, if you or someone is, is grieving the end of a relationship? Because I don't think everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you tell? It's like saying, you know, how can you tell if somebody's in a, a trauma response? Like you've, you've mm. got signals you can see. So how, how could I know that I am in a grieving process? I think, I think in, in breakups, I think that in a way there's, there's kind of similar signs right? If, if they're in that grieving process, I think there, there will be, and that's why I look at, I always take the, the five stages of grief, you know, kind of as a template or, you know, it's not going to be that strict linear path, but those to me can be indicators and those can be signs. And can you walk us through those really quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have anger, you have bargaining, you have depression, you have, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the other two? Um, oh, acceptance. And you have, um, oh my gosh. Denial. Denial. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. And so, so with those five, you can kind of look at those things. And I think maybe anybody listening to this, right. Is, is going, yeah, I, I was in denial. I was like, this can't be happening. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I don't, I don't want this to happen or the bargaining thing is real in breakups, right? The bargaining thing is like, if I just do this or then yes, yes, all of that is, is exhibited anger for sure. You go through the anger. I bet in relationships, I can go back to like, talking and venting to all my friends. And sometimes they jump on that bad wagon too. They're like, I'm gonna be angry for you. And uh-huh. so, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you go through, you know, even the depression, I, I know I called one of my best friends. Um, and 
And literally we talk about this to this day. And she was like, remember when you called me and you were like, I'm on the floor and I can't get up. Right. Like that's like that old, that old, uh, uh-huh. ad, right? right. But yeah, I, the, I, I really I've fallen and I can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up. And like, I really was, I still remember that moment where I was just on the floor and I feel like we've had those moments and definitely in breakups, when you're hearing those signals, when you're hearing, you know, I can't get out of bed or, or I'm not going to work or, or some of these, these things that people are, are saying to you is, is really be a good listener, really be a yeah. good listener. Also just observe how, how people are carrying themselves and, and that is grief. And I do think one thing too, is to validate that is to validate that people are, are, are grieving, right. In, in these relationships, like I've had friends that are going through divorce or separation and it, it really is key to say, you know, you're grieving this because yeah. you're, like you said earlier is you're not only grieving the loss of that person in your life that you've, again, same thing. You've been constantly used to calling them, used to seeing them, used to going to them for things, even used to arguing with them uh-huh. that, 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 that person is, is no longer going to be there, um, in, in some way, shape or form, right. In, in breakups. Um, but then it's, it's also just really being able to, 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 to listen to that person. And again, goes back to, to hear what, what they need. Right. Um, because that, that, that is grief. It, it is grief, understanding that loss, understanding that th- they will be hit with these waves. Um, because, uh, and then also grieving the idea of what your life was going to be and also grieving a portion of you, because I do think when you're with someone, um, you do become bonded and they do help shape who you are. So when that's no longer there, you again are going to become a new person. And, and, and so you're grieving that loss of, of who you were. And again, part of, part of your identity as well, you know? So, yes. And, and our relationships and love have taken on divine meaning now. And, um, I'll give credit where credit's due because again, Esther Perel talks a lot about this, that we used to depend on religion and our communities to give us that sense of the divine. And now we lean on our partners for that. We lean on love Mm -hmm. for that. And relationships used to not be romantic, um, for most of human history, they were pragmatic relationships, um, rather than, than romantic ones. And, and this idea of, wow, this person has chosen me, especially in a society now where there's so much swiping going on, where there's mass layoffs happening all the time, where our relationships and our day-to-day can be so fleeting and relationships can be fleeting when somebody chooses us, that validates our worthiness. Mm. And then when they stop choosing us, it's like, not only is a part of our identity gone, like you were saying, but really part of our own sense of value in the world can be yeah. lost too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all, all that, like I said before, like all that loss is grief. Yeah. And, and I think 
if we're able to name it and to accept it, the other moments in our life may be just a little bit easier to, to, to go through. And, and I think again, people make it, make grief synonymous to the death of, of a, of a person. And it can show up in, in so many different ways, especially even loss of identity. I think even in the LGBTQ community, you know, it's, it's even, let's say with, um, transgender folk, right. They talk about how they're even grieving, you know, their, their identity. They're also referred to, you know, their names as they change their names, that those are their Mm. dead names. Right. And, and how can we, how can we pay homage to that? How can we grieve that? you know, because that's not an easy transition for people. And so there, there's a lot of grief wrapped up in, in so many different ways. And I, I love that we're, we're being able to talk about it. And I love that, you know, even I'm, I'm thinking here sitting and it might go all the way back to maybe one of the first questions and even relationships. Cause one of the stories that I still try to talk to my partner about my wife about is People want to help you so much because they do love you. They do care about you. Um, and they, they, they want to tend to your grief and make you feel better. But it goes back to what I'd said earlier about just let people hurt. And I think whether it's a breakup, whether it's the loss of a job, we don't have to immediately make that person feel better. And because I also think when we try to make that person feel better or we say, don't cry, or we, we say these other platitudes that it invalidates that emotion that they're feeling. And it tells them in in a way that that's wrong, that you shouldn't do that, which then pulls you more back into that shame because it's, it's why do I, why can't I cry? Why can't I do that? And why can't you understand? I'm just hurting. I, I remember, um, distinctly. And, and sometimes I rack my brain. I'm like, why couldn't my wife understand this? And so, um, uh, because she was just, and, and now I've learned that she just loves me so much. She just wanted me to feel better. And at that point it wasn't the time. And so we had gotten into a incubator program for one of our ideas, um, which also was linked to the, to the death space to help other grievers out. We were in this program and it was like, only maybe like a month after my sister passed. And, and that's where I also was just in denial. That was my denial phase. I was like, I can keep working. I can, I can go into this program. I can pitch this idea to investors. I can, I can do all of this, but, but we're into like vision boarding. And so my wife had clipped out like maybe the, the cover of like a Forbes magazine and everything. And she put my sister's picture on that, on that magazine cover because mm-hmm. we were doing this for my sister. And I was so angry. I was so angry that she was putting up that picture. I was so angry that she was like pushing us to do this idea. And, um, she was just like, no, like this is going to help you. Like, this is going to inspire you. This is going to like, it's, it's for your sister. And it was just so fresh and I didn't have the tools to communicate what I was feeling. 
And it was, it was very, very hard to look. And some people might think, oh, you'd want to see that person's picture. And at that point, I was just not ready to, I could not look at any picture of my sister uh, at that point. So even understanding that people might have different reactions um, because it's their grief. Yes. Like it is, it is their grief. It's not yours. And how you would process something, how you would feel about something is not the way that, that they may want to do it. And so yes. give, give those, the people that, that freedom to do that. Um, Thank you for sharing that story. And I, I'm actually going to share a story that, that this reminds me of. Um, when my grandmother passed, she passed peacefully in her sleep at home at my parents' house. And um, I had gotten the call while I was at work and got to my parents' house. I was very, very distraught. And my mom and my sister, they had gone in and spent time with my grandmother and her and her body mm-hmm. um, that was still on the bed. And um, I did not want to see her. And my mother, for lack of a better term, gave me shit about it. Mm-hmm. It was like, you don't want to go say goodbye to her. I said, no, I want to remember her, how mm. she was at dinner a few nights ago, trying to to swipe my glass of wine from me and take sips from it. That's how I want to remember her. And, and, and so my mom could not fathom that I was grieving in a different way than, than she and my sister were. And my dad could, and he lost his mother at a very young age. Um, sadly, he had to be the one to identify his mm-hmm. mother's body because she was killed in an accident. Mm-hmm. And so he said, you know, I, I'm still haunted by being around that, by seeing that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to put my daughter through that. So yeah. just amongst, I mean, and within our family, um, but there was that shaming that was going on. Yeah. Shame's um, real. Shame is real, right? Mm-hmm. Shame is real. And, and I would imagine that there's also some shame that can come along with pleasure after loss. Mm. So like, why, how can I be out having fun right now? Yeah, right. Question. I love this one because I absolutely felt that shame. I felt the shame. I felt the guilt, all of it. Um, and once I was able to, you know, really one thing that I learned, right. And this is why I think the education for other grievers, for people who are supporting grievers is helpful is once I learned about integration, which integration is really the understanding that all of our emotions can coexist. I can be both happy and I can be sad. I can have fun. I can, you know, have, have moments of, of depression all at the same time, all at the Mm -hmm. same time, all of this coexists that these emotions are not binary you are not an either or no, absolutely. Absolutely not. I think, I think it's even like now when I'm thinking about sex, how many of us, like, as we're having sex, we experience, right. And if you talk about like, let's get into it, like with orgasm, how many emotions are you feeling in, in that moment? Right. 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 Like, it's kind of like when you cry, you know, during sex or, or, but it feels good. And that's why you're crying, <laughs> you know? Or, or you're feeling all of these things come up that, that they can absolutely coexist. And my moments, uh, but people struggle with that. It's, it's very hard. But now that I know that, 
and I've educated myself on that and, and I, and, and I own it, it's made it so much better because I'll give you two examples. One that, that I am, I've, I've gotten much better with when my sister was in the hospital, right? She was in the hospital for about nine months. Um, and this is also, I think important for caregivers to hear is because I do think there's a lot of guilt with caregivers and maybe even that shame comes up too is because that's, it's, it's hard work. It's, it's very hard work and emotionally taxing. But as my sister was in the hospital, um, I had taken a couple trips and, and one of the trips I took, I'm a big Kansas city chiefs fan. And I, this is when they won the super bowl. I went out to Kansas city and this was only maybe about a week, a week and a half before she died. Mm. And so being able to carry that with me, but then also release myself of that guilt of being like, well, those could have been a few more days that I spent with my sister. Yeah. Right? Um, but you're, I, you're still going to have those moments too. Like there were times when I was like, I had to go to sleep because I was so tired because I was staying up with her. You know, you feel guilty about that um, and you have to wrestle with that. But then after my sister died um, and I was like, are people going to think this is weird? Are people going to think this is strange? Um, me and her kids went to Disneyland and you, you talk about the, the integration of of all these different emotions coexisting at the same time. You're going to literally the happiest place on earth after these kids mom just died and my sister just died. And we're there together and we're laughing, we're riding the rides, but we're also still holding that grief and that love that we have for her. And it is one of those biggest life trippy moments that it's super true. Like life literally still goes on. And so you will have these feelings, address them, acknowledge them, work through them, but all of these absolutely can coexist. They can coexist and it's beautiful when you, when you own that and then you're able to, to, to go, go through that um, as well, because it will, it will pass. I know that's very cliche, but those feelings pass and then you go on to it, a new one and then another one might hit you. And then the way that, that you're able to process all of these things then the way that you're able to carry that with you throughout, throughout your life. Cause it will be with you your, your whole life. All of these things Im impact you for sure. Well, Julie, I feel like we could keep going and this has been such a fabulous conversation. Um, but let's wrap it up here and, and tell our listeners, where can they find you if they want some grief support, whether that's working with you one-on-one, -on -one, if that's something you offer or in community, where can they find you? Everything you can find me is at hello, I'm grieving. Um, and so whether that's on Instagram, that's my main communication with people and where I post many of the, the different things that I'll be doing in upcoming events. Uh, and then also I have my website at www.helloimgrieving.com. So, so everything's there. I'll be continuing to build out the community and offer different events and so one thing that I always like to say people as we're ending on how all this integrates is I want to attract the people, the, the people that are at the point where they feel like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to explore. I'm ready to, 
you know, process my grief. I'm, I'm ready to sit in it, acknowledge it, say hello to it and have fun with it. Um, because I, I really want to show people that there is so much life out there and understanding that grief can grow you and, um, if you let it. And so I really would love to say hello to each and every one of you. I know that when people come to the community, I always try to make it a point to say hello to everyone. Um, so I would love to meet you and love to hear your story. Beautiful, beautiful. And I love that, that you're, you're ready to help people lean into joy and pleasure again. That, that is certainly, um, my business too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about me and what I offer, you can find me at renamartine.com or on Instagram underscore rena.martine underscore. Thank you so much again, Dr. Julie. And, um, Best of luck with your new baby who's going to be here any day now. And congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Julie. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere and come back, if you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend. Hi there. Uh, my name's Brianna Lehman. I saw your post about recording our singlehood story on audio and emailing it to you. So figured, let's go for it. <clears throat> I was um, with my high school sweetheart. Oh gosh, I'm 29 now. We broke up about two years ago, so do the math. That's over a decade of being together. Um, we were engaged, and it was like a fairy tale, or what I thought a fairy tale would be like. We never fought. We were partners in crime, did everything together. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, in the heat of the pandemic, uh, he struggled with substance abuse, which turned into uh, physical and mental abuse towards me to the point where I, I had to move out of our home to keep myself safe. Um, and the whole time he was struggling with his addictions and taking it out on me, I was trying to figure out how could I love him harder to show him how much I love him, to hopefully use my love for him as a source of change or momentum for him to want to change. So I kept pouring from my cup into his cup and uh, rarely did I get anything in return. Uh, quite honestly, we uh, postponed our wedding 
because of, you know, quote unquote, COVID. It was not because of COVID. We postponed it because he was not sober. Uh, COVID just gave us an easy excuse. But um, quite frankly, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic saved my life. Had COVID not happened and had we not postponed our wedding because of COVID, I probably would have married him before I found out how bad his addictions and his abuse would and could get. And um, how bad his infidelity was. Uh, We later broke up because he was having an affair with a woman from a gym we both went to who was married with multiple children. Um, She was staying with him in our house while I stayed with my parents for safety while I thought he was going to rehab that I was paying for that was under my social security and health insurance because my ex-fiance at the time was trying to get into the military. And um, if he had substance abuse on his record or rehab on his record, they would have never let him in. So we convinced the counseling service to put it under my name, even though I was not the patient. And uh, I just recently finished paying that off and that was you know, back in 2020, early 2021. So it was pretty expensive. And also lost uh, upwards of $15,000 on our canceled wedding. Um, And then a few months ago, so a year and a half after we broke up, I found out uh, his infidelity tracked back six or seven years. I started getting messages from women in a million different states and countries even whom he had long-term relationships with, not one-night stands or anything like that. Uh, These were relationships where he had met their parents, spent holidays with their parents, and he was able to do all of this mostly because of his job as a consultant. He traveled constantly for work, so he would meet women and form relationships with them while all having a double life with me back home. Um... Those are the four and a half minutes of cliff notes of my my life, basically. My life revolved around um, this man I considered my best friend. Um, it was the hardest lesson I ever had to learn that you cannot love someone into loving you. And my love that I have to give is a reflection of my heart. And not a reflection of how someone treats me, but can be gated based on how somebody is treating me. So through all of this journey and feeling like I lost over a decade of my life and my memories and also losing trust in myself, how could I let something like this get so bad with someone I thought I knew for more than half of my life? I have learned to continue to invest in myself first, to find myself now, which has been my core focus. I've been reading your book, Single on Purpose, and let me tell you, it's not an easy journey to be okay 
to be with yourself and it is one I am still trying to figure out um yes so including that I have started going to school I'm working towards getting my master's in marriage and family therapy because my LMFT uh therapist <laughs> uh quite frankly saved me and I just I want to become that for other people. I want to help people heal, heal, heal their wounds and make life a little bit of an easier journey. So anyways, thanks for always sharing some amazing content that always seems to come at the time that I need it most. All my best. Bye.